He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host, joined by the rest of the Munson's. Kind of. I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We're running a little light today on regular Munson's, but we've got a big group with us. So FYI, if you're listening in, uh, no Rigby. He is on vacation, so good for him, enjoying himself. No James. He is trying to become a dad today. Hopefully that goes well. But he uh, is experiencing what is likely the happiest moment of his life at this moment in time. So we will give him a pass. And that bar is pretty high, man. He's had a lot of happy (laughs) moments. So that bar is high. He is. And the other little nugget I learned this week is that word on the street is that Warren may be appearing for some summer episodes as his school year ends. Love it. We're just running two today. So I'll, I'll throw over to Case. How are we doing, Case? I'm doing well, man. There's not a whole lot new on my end. I had some more uh, yoga drama in my yoga saga, but I'm going to save that because the more important thing is that I'm just coming off a great trip to meet with Mr. Rigby and went out to Hollywood and we went and walked the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame. Once there, I drug everybody into our party into straight tourist mode and we took so many pictures and we were so obnoxious. We annoyed the hell out of everybody, even other tourists. We did, however, capture a picture of the one and only David Spade, who started my infatuation with stars on the Walk of Fame and, fittingly, tonight's center of attention, the Miss Halle Berry. The other thing I wanted to say, you know, with, with Rigby not being here, I wanted to make sure that uh, I got a good Rigby joke in tonight. He's always very good at these. And I just want to say to you guys that I think this is going to be a very good episode. <laughs> Hey, you know Rigby would say that. He would totally say that. Hallelujah. You guys are on one right now. In the early days of Munson's, we used to talk a lot about we were a firmly this podcast or a firmly this podcast. And I feel like we abandoned that for a while. So I just want to give a shout out to our listeners that the hellscape that is our political world. Um, I think I could speak on behalf of our podcast and say, what the hell is going on in the world around us politically? And Jesus Christ. We need to do better, please. Especially men. Men listening, do better. So that's my little roundabout, direct (laughs) point to be made. And I know I'm in friendlies here, so that's that's what I'm going to leave. Unfortunately, Kyle, that's our minority demographic. We're much more popular with the ladies than the men. Most of our listeners are women, the majority. So (laughs) yeah, we'll take that as a compliment. So I, instead of giving them a personal update, I think what's going on in that space, especially as it relates to women's choice, is uh, a lot more important than anything in my life currently. But since it's only the two of us, we had to call in for some reinforcements, for some assistance. And for the first time in Munson's history, we are outnumbered by guests. But I think for good at the end of the day. This is for wisdom, collective wisdom. I think we're going to do well. So I'm just going to introduce each one of these individuals one by one, give them a chance to chime in and respond a little bit. But we got a, we got a few bios to get through. So first and foremost, I want to welcome back Aubrey McKay. He lives in Lakeland, Florida, where he teaches high school history. He's a collector and lover of movies. 
and also writes about movies at moviebabble.com. He was previously with us for the Chris Rock, Aubrey Plaza, and Cameron Diaz episodes. This is also not his first time jumping in late in the game for an unscheduled episode. Aubrey's always one we can count on. Welcome back, Aubrey. How are you? I'm good. Testing season is ending in school, so we can all rejoice and celebrate as my eyes and everything readjust to the real world, because I've been testing for like three weeks in a row now. Aubrey, did you ever think that testing would be harder as an administrator than it was when you were taking them? I tell these kids every single year, if they gave me the opportunity, I would take their test. <laughs> I would take it instead of administer it. <laughs> I hate administering it. You just sit there. It's boring. Second guest, new guest, Crystal Clark. She resides in Nashville, Tennessee, but will always rep the 757 as her homeland. She refuses to leave college, is a lover of Formula One, a left-handed enthusiast, and chair of the board of directors for Nashville's nonprofit film center, the Belcourt Theater. Also, great Facebook follow because she shares tons of awesome stuff about pop culture all the time. And we're excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm at home right now in Virginia. I went to my alma mater for a good little weekend, and now I'm with my mom. I'm in her closet, and I'm excited to talk about Halle Berry from her closet. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you, and uh, glad to we could finally recruit you over to the Munson side. Um, <laughs> yeah. And finally, but, but certainly not least of the, the bunch, Dane Michael is also here. He's the lead singer of the 90s rock tribute band Fountains of Dane and is also a self-described Oscarologist who has been fervently tracking the Oscars for over 20 years. I can attest he knows his shit when it comes to the Oscars. He previously was with us for the Alicia Vikander and Alison Brie episode, so it's been a minute since he's been with us. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, Dane. How's the, the world in, on your end? I'm back, baby! <laughs> yeah. world is a complicated place, sir. My world, my little world of nerdy stuff, is relatively unchanged, but that's why I'm here. I mean, that's why you have me here to do something very super nerdy, like a podcast about one specific actor or actress. And uh, I'm ready. All right, well, let's get in. I'm excited to talk about some Halle Berry, and let's do this. Birthdays from May 19th. Rigby isn't here, so we asked Aubrey to step in and see if we can uh, guess some birthdays correctly. Okay, so brace yourself because these are some names. I, we got the big ones for this one. Okay, so we're going to start with probably the it's easily the best actor we're going to talk about today. Who also played basketball for a short spell. Kevin Garnett. Mm. You would know him from Uncut Gems. Wow. I think that's the only place you guys would know him from. Is that his only acting credit? No. I'm going to be honest. I have no idea. But I got to imagine he did some stupid basketball movie at some point. So Garnett and Gems, come on. He was in an HBO called The Goat, the Earl Manigault story. So you guys may know him from that. I can't think of anything else. I'll get it started. I think Kevin Garnett, what do you retire about, like six or seven years ago? I'm going to say he's 45. Hmm. So Kevin Garnett, I believe, was like a rookie um, (laughs) when I graduated high school, which was 99. And he didn't go to college. He was notoriously like one of the first to come straight to um, the pros. Mm -hmm. And so he was probably like 18 around 99. And I was 18 around 99. And I'm 41 now. So I'm going to guess he's 41. Mm. Real math. That's a math. 
I would say that he is 44. You gave yourself a tight window there. I like Price is Right. You got to be right up on people, you know. I respect it. Then 46 is my guess. 46 is available. And it's the right choice because he is 46. No! (laughs) (laughs) So next up is an actress that I like quite a bit. Um, Danielle McDonald. The movie that I know her from is a movie called Patty Cakes that came out a few years ago. A small indie movie. She's been in several Netflix movies, Bird Box, Dumplin'. She's been in a few things. She's starting to get a little bit bigger. She was really good in the short skin, which was turned into a yes. feature film. I'll get it started again. I think Danielle is in her late 20s. So I'm going to say 27. Mm. 27. 27 is off the board. I feel like now I need to mention that. <laughs> Anybody wants to share my guess? I, I will. I'll share. I have no idea who you're talking about. I'm gonna. I'm gonna create a good, wide range for us to operate in. I'm gonna say she's 32. I'm gonna guess 29, just randomly. I'm gonna say she's 31. Another great guess at the end. She's 31. Oh, congratulations! You can't tell her age. She's kind of unreadable. Yeah, I agree. Last. A comedian I like quite a bit, Michael Che, SML. Oh, yeah. Really, really good stand-up comedian. His most recent stand-up special. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but it was really, really good. I'm not going first this time. That continues to not be a successful strategy for me. So Last seems to be the strategy. Yeah, being that, that comic actors and comedians are at it forever before they come known, I'm going to say he's a little bit older, and he's 43. The 40s is a good guess, I would say, because... I'm at this point in my life where it's hard for me to know if I'm younger or older than most of the people that are on there. But he's been on there. It seems like it's got to be like close to a decade by now um, as an anchor. I'm going to say 45. One low. 38. 41. And the answer is 39. Give me one. He looks older. I'm sorry. Five actors that we threw onto the wheel for this year, episode 62. And those five were Uma Thurman, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Neill, Alfre Woodard, and Halle Berry. A very good wheel. Lots of great choices on this one. But it doesn't matter those are the four because the wheel chose Halle Berry. And that's who we're here to talk about. Halle has 60 credits on her IMDb. And really, in all reality, when you take out some of those pieces, it's less than that. Mostly film. So it was a very film-driven performer that we're going to talk about. Normally, we would start with James doing some actor trivia. But again, James is off doing semi-important things in life. I'm going to step in for James to tackle the trivia. But if you're listening and don't know, know what we do, I have three facts. Two of them are going to be about Halle Berry. One of them is going to be about one of the many actors in the Fast and Furious franchise. And our team's goal here is to figure out which one is the lie. So I will read up three. And then we'll take some guesses. Fact number one. She turned down roles in both Speed and Geely. Fact number two. In 2008, she was named the international face of Australia's 30 Days of Fashion and Beauty event. And fact number three. She is named after a building that originally housed a department store in her hometown. Which of those is not true about Halle Berry? Damn, you got a different tone than James. I was (laughs) caught off guard. I, it's hard to f- lead and to do James's shtick, so I'm trying to do it my own way. No, I like it. I like it. It's a lot more intense. 
a fashion thing seems very, very factual. Like you wouldn't just pull that randomly about an actor from Fast and the Furious franchise, I don't think. Maybe, but Australia though. Yep. The face of international face of Australia's 30 days of fashion and beauty event. I think the second one is the lie. Also, I forgot to mention, you, you don't have to guess the Fast and Furious character, but feel free if you would like to guess who that character would be. I think the third one is the lie. I'm who building named after has to be Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? That's what, that's I think that's actually him. Hallie Hall. Hallie Hall was named after her. Come on. I feel like uh, I'm with Aubrey if he's going to guess the third one. I, I think that one's the lie or the fact about Fast and Furious person. I, I think you're messing with us. And I think that fact number one is the lie. And I think that it was not supposed to be Ben Affleck. I think it was supposed to be Jason Statham in Geely. Probably a better movie. Probably a better movie. <laughs> fact one is true. Dang it. She did turn down roles in both Speed and Geely. I think one of those was a good decision and one maybe not. I mean, you could maybe make the case that Speed would have been decent choice over Sandra Bullock, but turning down Geely, great idea. Phenomenal idea. <laughs> Fact three is also true. She is named after a building that originally housed a department store in Cleveland. So I don't know if Dane did some Google in there, but her parents named her Hallie after the grand old Hallie building that housed the Halley Brothers department store in her hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. And that leaves fact two is not being true about her. The fact that she was named the international face of Australia's 30 Days of Fashion and Beauty event. That was Too Fast and Too Furious star Ava Mendes. Yep. Dang it. Who played Monica. And also known in Hollywood for her good looks. And being recognized Whoa. by different folks okay. for her good looks. Cool facts. Congratulations to... Which aren't everything by the way. <laughs> God, I hope not. Certainly doesn't hurt, but they are not. That's for sure. A case. Let's talk a little bit about our snapshot in box office history. You know, Halle Berry has quite the range of movies from a box office standpoint. She's really done it all. She's been in big up box office movies that have rocked. She's been in big box office movies that have stunk. Low budget movies that have rocked and low budget movies that have stunk. One of the things that's been in was interesting with her is really hard to kind of nail down a like a box office profile like we have with other performers. However, one thing that I did notice was that a lot of her films performed really poorly on opening weekend, but they would end up big or at least not losing money. We've seen that in the past with other performers, but those are usually like high critic rankings, right? Where people aren't sure of a movie and then they get reviews and blah, 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 and then they go see them. I would be willing to bet that a good portion of the box office success that she has had, and especially in her leading roles, has probably been her getting out and promoting the hell out of her movies and, and going out and doing the circuit and doing stuff, because there's a million interviews with her. Her best box office performance would definitely be her involvement in Monsters Ball. We'll talk about that later. But this movie brought in $45 million against a $4 million budget, which is really good. Her biggest box office takes are X-Men Last Stand, pulling 460 mil, and X-Men Days of Future with a $746 million box office. Her worst numbers are 707,000 for Frankie and Alice, and 910,000 for Kings. 
wouldn't have. I think Halle Berry is still someone, and I totally respect her and enjoy some of her stuff, but I still don't think people run to Halle Berry. I think you're right. She does get out and works it and does her marketing and gets out there. I think that's true enough. Like, Look at the biggest stuff in her box office resume, and she's part of an ensemble. And so not like the main reason you went, except not the main draw. how you mentioned Monsters Ball. Right. Well, well, let's dig into it, because I think you're probably both right. But let's dig into the context of why that might be the case. And there's quite a bit to cover with Hallie. First major roles can be in 91. So before that, the early days, Hallie Berry, born in 66, biracial family. Her parents divorced when she was four, who's had some abuse issues. And she actually changed her name to... Hallie officially when she was five as part of the split. Her real name is Maria Halle Berry. Drop the Maria with Hallie when she was five years old. By the way, that's a pretty badass name also. Maria Halle Berry. Absolutely. Wouldn't have worked as well in that song though. <laughs> Maria Halle Berry. Maria Halle Berry. You can make it work. <laughs> hard to put rap songs is the problem. Yeah. Oh my God. I got that ready to go. But early on, I mean, she was super active in high school. So she was, you know, doing, she was a cheerleader, honor student, editor of the newspaper, prom queen. So she did it all. Absolutely did it all in high school. And then went to community college, Cuyahoga Community College out of, out of high school, which is super interesting. We don't see a lot of performers that go to community college. They either go to drama school or they're not doing any of those things and grinding out, doing other stuff like Chris Pratt working tables in Hawaii or whatever it happens to be. But in her early days, too, starting modeling, she was a runner-up in the Miss USA pageant in 1986. So that's really where she got her start, kind of her entry into the entertainment world. She was in Chicago modeling in the late 80s, and that's when she got her first ever TV role, which was on Living Dolls. She played a model in 1989. She was in that show for 12 episodes. So coming out of the gate, recurring character. She moved to New York City for acting, a little bit better of a, a market for that if you want to do it professionally. And then you see a run of small TV appearances. She was on an episode of Amen in 91, A Different World, 91. They came from outer space. So 91 is a busy year for her doing one-off episodes. But her first big film break was in Spike Lee's 1991 film, Jungle Fever. Someone can tell me otherwise. But she talked about it in an interview being such an important moment for her because she was a model up to that point And she wasn't getting a lot of opportunities to be something different as an actor. And this was that first chance to do something completely unique from what she had done previously. I think it was, she always, I think, fights to do something that's gritty and dirty. Like how, how ugly can you make someone as beautiful as Halle Berry? And I think she still fights for that, like to this day. Do you know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. she's an addict. She's with Samuel L. Jackson and she does not look like a Miss USA runner up. And I think she kind of wants that. Throughout her career, she really goes for it in this movie too. Like she really goes after it. Which, I mean, it's the the sad part. The, the movie's great. The sad part about her performance in particular is that she's essentially butted up against Samuel L. Jackson, who is killing it in that movie. Like he is, he left Earth on that movie, and so she's kind of <laughs> like improving next to that with him. And she just kind of gets overshadowed, but she was really going for it. I was, I was particularly, you know, impressed and surprised to see her do something like that so early. Mm-hmm. How much screen time does she have in the movie? Uh, not a lot, but more than you would think. Okay. Mm-hmm. Probably she's playing an addict in her first role. 
when I, I will, I'll take this opportunity to parallel an episode that you were on previously, Aubrey, and in terms of first feature role, the first one I thought it was Chris Rock because his first big role was Pookie in New Jack City playing a drug addict. So it's, it's interesting to see these two performers who are so pop culture wise huge and they both got their big break playing a similar character in films around the same time. So I thought that was interesting. We didn't talk about this, but you know, she was living in a homeless shelter when she was 21. And, and she asked her mom for help, and her mom said no. And, and she was kind of probably feeling pretty low. I, I would imagine that that experience kind of helped set her on a course, like you said earlier, to, to kind of play these gritty, you know, broken characters. And, and I think she does pretty well at that. Coming off that, what we're going to go into our first major role, because we could actually get a hold of it and watch it, is Strictly Business 1991, in case it's going to talk about it. I busted my ass trying to find that uh, that movie anywhere streaming, and I have access to pretty much every streaming service possible. And not only can you not find it on a streaming service, you can't even find Jungle Fever on Amazon. It doesn't even give you the, this isn't available option. <laughs> so weird. Strictly Business is a 1991 comedy film, eventually directed by Kevin Hooks, starring Tommy Davidson, Joseph Phillips, and the Halle Berry. Also, there is a supporting role turned in by an actor named Sam Jackson, who acts very similarly to Samuel L. Jackson. It's basically every character Samuel Jackson ever played, and it's, it may be what uh, Chappelle based the uh, beer commercial on. Another notable appearance, and I don't remember if we talked about this, Munson alumni, Sam Rockwall is in this movie, who plays a computer whiz who towards the end of the movie, endangers a major business deal for the film's protagonist. And like a lot of other movies we've covered that have ch massive changes in directors and writers and producers, things get a little out of control and the project usually suffers. And I think this is probably true of that same situation. In fact, Barry's co-star, Joseph Phillips, he turned down the initial script because he said it was too stereotypical and played on too many racial tropes of a lot of other 90s films as it relates to black characters. Also, the initial script was more about his pursuit of Halle Berry's character, which would have made it really a rom-com. And the final film, though, feels more like a buddy film between Phillips and Tommy Davidson. Interesting backstory in the film, for, as it relates to Halle Berry, in an interview with Arsenio Hall, she revealed that the original director fired her because she wasn't dark enough. He thought too many leading roles for black female actresses were going to lighter-skinned black actresses. And according to Barry, they brought in a darker actress. Ultimately, it didn't work out. They ended up changing the directors. And then the new director, who ended up being Kevin Hooks, reached back out to Hallie and was like, hey, we, we really want and need you in this project. So will you, will you be part of this? Quick synopsis of film. Wayman, played by Phillips, sees Natalie, who's played by Halle Berry, while she's working at and ironically getting fired from a restaurant. He finds out later his buddy, who works in the mailroom, of the fancy real estate company that he's on the verge of being a partner with, knows who Natalie is and where to find her. And I'm not sure if she's like a singer or a dancer, but she does shows. The rest of the movie is about the two buddies contrasting lifestyles, approaches to work, and just lives in general. The movie was actually much better than I thought it was going to be. The critics shredded this movie for a variety of reasons. Barry is good in it. 
She certainly wasn't demonstrating Academy Award acting skills at this point, especially in such a huge role. But she was good in her role and, and certainly didn't hurt the movie. As I'm thinking about it, it's kind of a fun movie to watch as we watch the progression of her career. And in other episodes, I've had the first performance and it's been fun to watch somebody who didn't turn in a great performance. And then by the end of their career, you know, they're winning awards and, and they're carrying projects. And I think this is probably one of those examples as well. But overall, I, I enjoyed the movie. I watched it in one sitting, and uh, that's a big thing for me. It didn't take you three this time? <laughs> it did not take me with three. I mean, it's got 10% critics, critic on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it's pretty awful. I watched this one. I think that's probably low. That's the way I would probably describe it is, for me, it's pretty standard for an early 90s mm-hmm. black comedy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for who's in this, who made it, and what it's about it's, it's there's a lot of these there's a you know there's a lot of stuff that are dealing with the same things and so it kind of depends on when you see it in reference to the other ones i think would probably determine how much you like it or not because a lot of what this movie's trying to do is just playing the dichotomy of the different types of black person playing with like what's a sellout mm-hmm. and what does success look like for a black person which is i'd say it's kind of fumbled yeah in the way that it would be in an early 90s movie. And I mean, Halle Berry kind of like, she's kind of doing what you would, if like before I went through her career, she's doing in this movie what I thought she would do in her movies in her early career. Mm-hmm. Be the beautiful person that everyone wants to be with. And that's essentially what she's doing. Those yeah. two black men were super popular during that time period. Like, that in living color going on like they mm-hmm. were two black men who were circulating through the 90s and so the the hope was that black audiences would come to this film because those two black men were in everything like everyone knew tommy davidson especially if you were black in the 90s right yeah um and then the other one he was on different world and all the different black shows that people were watching in their homes and so mm-hmm. those two black men were huge magnets or what they thought would be huge magnets to this movie well, you guys talked about fumbling earlier. I don't know if you saw the last Boy Scout or Tony Scott film, but <laughs> my one dude fumbles the ball in the opening sequence when he gets shot on the field. This movie is immediately. Wild. This movie is wild. I texted Case, Rigby, and James after the first sequence. I said, have you guys seen the last Boy Scout? Because that first scene is batshit crazy, yo. Yeah. He just straight up pulls out a gun to start shooting people on the football field. The only scene I remember from the movie. Actually, <laughs> Tony Scott does no. not care. <laughs> no. Yeah, he yeah care. no, he doesn't. Bruce Willis. I get, apparently it's one of Bruce Willis's favorite roles that he's ever done too. It's weird, but also not bad. Like, no, I, it's entertaining. I liked it, and I liked it more for Bruce Willis than Damon Wayans, which surprised me a little bit because, like, yeah. early on, mm-hmm. Damon Wayans is like, it was like, oh, I got a movie, so I'm gonna really go after it, and it was just like, ah, I need you to tell some jokes. Yeah, definitely, but. That movie was kind of fun. Relating to Hallie, she hasn't said this specifically, but has said in a cryptic way that a co-star of hers in that movie abused her on set. And wow. it, it has been all but confirmed that it was Wesley Snipes, but she has not said as much directly. But others have basically alluded to it was Wesley Snipes. Like, and permanently impaired her from what the stories are. Mm-hmm. Her hearing, permanently impaired her hearing. Yep. The way that he abused her. Which, it, the more you learn about Wesley Snipes, is not surprising at all. So, it makes sense. Uh-huh. Interesting film. Go check it out. It's available in some different places. Then we got Boomerang. 
played Angela alongside Eddie Murphy. So, I mean, acting with a, a lot of big-time actors there in the early 90s. Yeah, and a part of a lot of films that are still very much in, like, the black canon. Like, there's no black family that hasn't seen Boomerang. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and owns it mm-hmm. every form possible. All the VHSs. <laughs> All VHS. Yep. Shameful admission, I have not seen this one. You have never seen Boomerang? No, this is on my list of shame. I have two lists of shame. I have a typical movie nerd list of shame. And then I have, like, a black movie list of shame that we and have problems now you have to see it that's tough i really wanted to make time to watch it in this one and then i watched so many of these 90 movies and i was like i can't <laughs> i can't well, a little bit of a departure in 93 she plays queen in the miniseries queen which the show got eight emmy nominations it's an alex haley project alongside our boy dennis haysbert and craig you said you read some stuff about how influential the show was right well maybe were you trolling me no, the description on Apple TV, it made me laugh because it said Halle Berry headlines in what USA Today cites as, quote, the first great epic miniseries since Lonesome Dove. That's a hell of a ringing endorsement. She's rocking the Southern accent in this. I watched the first of the three. It's on YouTube. I could not go any farther. I was like, I need to spend my time otherwise because they're like an hour and a half each. So there's a lot of talk and conversation and TV specials and think pieces about what was really happening on the plantation. So that may be where that little blurb came from about Lonesome Dove. I do wonder if they could have put Roots there instead of Lonesome Dove, but whatever. I mean, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We've mentioned Lonesome Dove a bunch on this pod because we've had, I think, three people on that too. That I have not seen. So yeah, I'm missing out. Well, according to Apple TV, this is the sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Not not the Roots sequel, but this one. The Lonesome Dove sequel. <laughs> we'll jump back to some personal stuff. She's been married three times. Her first marriage was to David Justice, a pretty big-time baseball player there in the mid-90s. Oh, yeah. Married him in 93, divorced him in 97. But that, that was a very high-profile relationship in the mid-90s. She had him during his Atlanta Braves prime, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We see a crossover with Chris Rock in CB4, one we want, we've talked about a ton on that episode. Big fan of CB4. She plays herself. So her first appearance as herself in a movie, which she does a few times. That speaks to some pop culture relevance there. Good grief. Yeah, it does. Hey, Halle Berry, we want you to come play in our movie, but we want you to be you. That's killer. Like, that's, that's huge. Really two years into her film career, right? Yeah, that's killer. It's wild. Yeah. Another Haysbert film, Fatherhood, 1993, played Kathleen. We're, we're getting the Haysbert references in today. Yeah, we are. In the early days, at least, with their early career. And then she's in the program, plays Autumn, a movie where she's dating Omar Epps, the star running back. Not a movie that I particularly enjoyed a whole lot, but I watched it. I'd never seen it before. Kind of traumatic. Yeah, it was not my favorite football movie I've ever seen. It was very melodramatic. Mm-hmm. It felt like a TV movie in a lot of ways. Kind of lifetime drama. Absolutely. It feels like a lot of the characters she played before this are older than she was. And now she's playing a character that's significantly younger than she was. Yeah. Mm. Kind of an interesting arc. Normally it doesn't go that way. Except for Queen. I think Queen was t- typically a younger character. Okay. But mm-hmm. I would say otherwise, yeah. Well, we'll roll right into the Flintstones, 1994. That movie that made a whole bunch of money. What is happening? <laughs> that was awesome, y'all. <laughs> You're welcome. Darren Stone, come on. 
the hero of this film, if you've seen it and rewatched it for this podcast, I think she's the hero. She's the she's the character turn. Very true. Very true. I enjoyed the movie quite a bit, even on the rewatch. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it held up for you? Because I think I have always loved the Flintstones. And I think what even impressed me now in 2022 was the way they built the, the world. The way they built Bedrock, I still thought was kind of quite impressive. Like, and the way they personified the animals. And I thought it was, the set design I thought was pretty awesome. You know what I mean? Even this many years later. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't know. I'll give you that. It's cool because if it would have been done now, it'd be like CGI sets. And mm. now, but that was like real. 100%. Right. Cool sets that they built. Like, great production design. It was really cool. Like, no computer, you know. Yeah. It's cheesy as hell. Nobody's denying that. But yeah. I probably hadn't seen it since like 98. So it had been a long time. And so it was, right. this was probably the most fascinating rewatch for me. Just be like, how did this translate into 2022? Like, what's going on in the Flintstones world? Steven Spielberg produced it. Steven Spielberg produced it. You had the B-52 <laughs> singing the song, which I still, when it came on, I still remember it, the lyrics. Like, I, it triggered something. And I just really enjoyed it. I don't know. That's that's when I was introduced to Halle Berry as a, I was like, what, 12? Yeah, that's a big one for kids. And I yeah. watched this on TV and that's I've never forgotten that performance or Great. this movie. I was really hyped to watch it. It wasn't a side track. This movie was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> but it will still live on in my mind with happiness. Exactly. 95, she was in Losing Isaiah, played... Kayla alongside Jessica Lange. And then another like mid 90s like action thriller executive decision. She plays Gene, the, the flight attendant who's helping Kurt Russell take over the plane from the terrorist. I'm not going to say the movie did a whole lot for advancing stereotypes about folks from the Middle East. Oh. It fits right in for thrillers with Kurt Russell, which I know Craig's a big Kurt Russell guy. Yep. Not a movie that I've rewatched lately, but that. I, I remember liking it as like a junior high kid. So I'd be interested to see if it's terrible now. I still find it watchable, man. I think I think you dig it. I actually have a quick story about this. Well, this came out. I was working at the movie theater in my hometown. And for some reason, me and a bunch of my buddies went and watched it at an actual showing. We didn't watch it on our own. We all groaned super loudly when Steven Seagal showed up in this movie because oh, yeah. back then you didn't know, right? Like all of a sudden it shows up in the scene, the screen and it goes, and Steven Seagal. And we're like, oh, come on. Cause we were all excited to see Kurt Russell and Halle Berry. And then my boss yelled at us because this is my favorite Steven Seagal role because he dies about three minutes into this movie. So early in the movie. It's great. <laughs> we just lost it in the theater. We started clapping and, and celebrating and a bunch of people complained to my boss and, uh, and she ripped me afterwards. Fond of memories of this movie experience. In a world of notorious assholes in Hollywood, Seagal is right near the top of the list. So <laughs> it's fun to watch him die in movies, for sure. And Halle Berry's goodness. Yeah. Plays off of Kurt Russell well, and she's making big strides from Strictly Business, that's for sure. Yep. Well, there's only so far to go. Like, she had to go up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bar is low. The bar is low. <laughs> You know, she's acting with a lot of heavyweights here in the 90s, so I'll give her credit there. Um, and I agree, this is a fun movie. I would rewatch it. But And then some other personal stuff. She became a spokeswoman for Revlon in 96. So some of the letting her looks take her to some endorsements, which I'm sure paid nicely. But let's talk about largest audience gap, which is B-A-P-S, BAPS. Aubrey has it. 
and usually our guests take reviews and they're taking the majority this time. And I would love for you to tell the people what BAPS means. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So normally when I get my review, I think about it a lot. I write some stuff down. I take a lot of time thinking about it because I want my review to be really good on here. I did not do that for this. This movie is called Black American Princesses. It literally starts, its IMDb description literally starts with the sentence, two tacky homegirls move to L.A. to become dancers. So Halle Berry (laughs) and her friend by Natalie Reed work in a diner and they want to get rich. Their plan to get rich is to win a dance contest for a heavy D video in L.A. They spend their savings to go to L.A. So Halle Berry could do this. Wait, is this a biopic, Aubrey? (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) She immediately fails with this dance. And then they're just in L.A. Where they kind of just randomly get picked up by this guy to work a scam on an old millionaire. And that's pretty much the movie. There's some movies that are so bad that they're good. This movie is literally one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's not so bad it's good. It's terrible. It's completely atrocious. Where do you fall on the audience gap here? 67% audience, 15% critics. Good grief. The 90s were weird. The 90s were weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is, man. I, I was trying to find any, anything positive because I normally try to be really positive about movies, which doesn't sound that way so far. But I couldn't find anything. I don't know what was redeeming. Both of them as characters are strange i guess is probably the best way to say it um not usually a compliment no so it's a 90s movie right so these uh internet like review systems were not around when this movie came out and nostalgia is a hell of a drug yes it is so if you're somebody who grew up watching this you might have like a lot of fun memories Mm -hmm. about it and then be that person who's like rating it 10.0 on imdb absolutely and whereas the critics reviews have been around since the movie came out and that they've mm. been able to collect those. And I also think there's been a lot of work when it comes to this movie, looking at who the critics are and they're a bunch of old white men mm-hmm. would never look at this movie and give anything redeeming about it. Valid point. A black people, me, I'm a black American princess. I'll go ahead and say it. <laughs> These women are familiar. These women are who they went to high school with. These women are who they are. So when you're looking at gold teeth and fake nails and blonde hair, that's who lives in my hometown that I'm sitting in right now. So there is an uh, an attraction to these women, an endearment to these women. There is looking at the story as two friends who want to become famous. They go out and unfortunately get sucked in as part of a scam, but they really do have hearts of gold and they don't go through with the scam, right? They don't go through with the scam at all. Nope. And this this man really sort of takes them in. They want to start their own business that is a hair salon and a a diner. They need $10,000. They're trying to become entrepreneurs. That's a story a lot of Black women have. And they end up getting this money by not going through the scam, right? And by being honest and not taking advantage of this person. The way they dance and what they wear, that's how people look right now in the hood. Like, you have to think about... (laughs) Who the audience was for this movie versus who was reviewing it and how those numbers came out and what sort of biases and racist stereotypes came out in that process. 
I'm not saying it's an Oscar award winning picture, <laughs> but I would be very critical of the eyes that this film was put through at that time and continue to be put through. What I agree with 100%. My main problem with the movie is that Halle Berry is trying to do a straight comedy. I just didn't really find her to be all that funny. Natalie Reed, I think, is funny, and she did some TV stuff, and she's funny on TV, and I, I like her. But to, to me, how the Halle Berry stuff in this particularly is what fell flat with the humor. And unfortunately, Natalie is not with us anymore, so I certainly want to honor her memory. She passed away, um, I think, last year. Yeah, recently. Um, and so, totally get that. I thought the movie wrapped itself into a nice, like, feel-good ball by the end. Bo. Because she... You know, he offers them a big old check, and they're like, nah, we're not interested. And so that it was a nice, et- it's a good message about ethics and caring about people and things like that. So I felt like my time, that was a, this was the first Halle Berry movie I watched when I learned it was Halle, like when we started the process. So I started with this because I was like, this premise is interesting. This photo is interesting. Let's dig in to this puppy. I saw in an interview that she said that this is a movie a lot of people come up and talk to her about and oh, yeah. say that they loved her in. Oh, absolutely. Especially folks who look like me. Absolutely. It was almost seen as you could be this person and that was okay. Right. And no one should look down on you for this. You're not a bad person because of this. This is just who you are. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. A lot of women still take to that and say, I'm a bath and that's totally fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And plus it's Halle Berry. And what black woman didn't want to be Halle Berry in the nineties? <laughs> Oh, I want to be Halle Berry right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, like 100%. Not- <laughs> See, she still looks great. Oh my God, absolutely. So that's largest audience gap. we got a couple years until we get to Critic Gap. She had an appearance on Frasier, one of many that we've covered that has done a Frasier call-in. Bullworth, she played Nina, 98. Pretty big film at that time. Mm-hmm. And then, but the, but the real big one I, I want to talk about is introducing Dorothy Dandridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Played Dorothy, you know, like... Talk about a story that hadn't really been told. I saw in a video, she is the one who really pushed this story to come to life. So she's the vehicle behind Dorothy Dandridge. And if you don't know who Dorothy Dandridge is, she was the first African-American actress nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. And uh, this role also got Halle Berry, Emmy, and Golden Globe wins. It's a very cool project, and I'm glad I watched it. I mean, I remember when this came out, it was highly publicized, and it was pushed quite a bit. She, I mean, I just think she just lit up the screen. Like, I could not stop Mm -hmm. watching her in this role. The dancing and the singing and the acting. I think it was just perfect. I don't think anyone could have done this justice the way that she did it. So, I'm happy she was able to get this made. She was so good in this. I mean, a lot of people after this movie, like, started comparing the two of them. She was so good in this. Oh, yeah. This was the last one I watched, and I was trying trying to fit it in because she won an Emmy for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I was like, I got to get to this. The thing I, I love about doing this is... A lot of how you feel about the person comes to how you come to their work. And so the way I came to hers is I saw several movies I just didn't really vibe with. You know, I didn't know how I felt about Halle Berry as an actor. I was like, I didn't see a lot of, I didn't see a lot of things. And one thing per, like particularly that I like is subtlety in a performance. Yeah. Being able to say a lot without doing a lot. And that's not something that I saw throughout her range of work, but is very present in this. Mm-hmm. I think the movie itself is a bit messy, but she is incredible. Like, she is really good. She lights up the screen. She steals everything. Like, you can't really take your eyes off of her. She's doing so much. And a lot of it is really, like, reserved and self-contained. She's kind of, like, presenting something that's just really regal and stark and, and beautiful. It's a 
tremendous performance. This is probably, I think this is the best work that she's done. Mm-hmm. High praise. I had to go back on YouTube and, and watch the video where Dorothy Dandridge gave out the Oscar because I was interested to see how similar they were in parallels, mannerisms, and like how she spoke. And it yeah. was almost spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely spot on. Wouldn't you guys say this is kind of the role that was a game changer for her as far as how Hollywood saw her and saw her potential. Oh yeah. I would think so. She had not done like a lot of dramatic, like serious dramatic work before this. And this is her first role that got her any real awards recognition of any kind in her career. And critic recognition. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. I think you see her as a full performer in this movie. Mm -hmm. I agree. Look at that. Everybody's on the same page. How often does that happen? Yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh, but, all right, well, let's let's see if we're on the same page about her character of Storm in the X-Men series. <laughs> <laughs> You're trolling us. I get it. Dane is going to do a full review of an uh, X-Men movie here in a little bit, so we don't need to spend a ton of time because I want to take away his thunder on that. But Oh, God. Oh, man. You already took away my thunder with my <laughs> jokes related to weather. So <laughs> unintentional puns. My God. There is an evolution of the character over time. But I mean, this is the first X-Men that came out in 2000. I don't know how well it did in the box office, but obviously a big ensemble cast. But this is not one I watched when I was at this point. I really wasn't interested in this genre yet, but I'm sure I'm I'm in the minority on that. There are probably some others that really enjoyed this. So here's a little trivia about me. I wrote my college admissions essay on Storm. Really? I am very much wedded to this character and every piece of it and wrote it about being like a black female superhero and being able to control the weather. And that's what I wrote it about. And it worked. I got in. This is where I went to school. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm so proud of you. You stormed your way into William and Mary. That's great. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's going to be a very punny episode. So, um, I mean, I was a massive uh, X-Men fan growing up, reading the comic books, watching, of course, the X-Men animated series on Fox. Yeah. So I was like really stoked. This was really the first real superhero movie that came out that used like the power of CGI and stuff. Oh, okay. You had this and Spider-Man coming out right around the same time. Sony had the Spider-Man rights. Fox had the X-Men rights. Storm, and we, we'll get into this more, is I've never been happy with her development on screen. And she's definitely a character that could benefit from like a solo movie. Even still, today, if she was willing to play it or if they just recast the role. Is this the first comic book movie with star-studded ensemble casts that we are now so used to seeing? 100%. So at the time, Halle Berry would have been one of the biggest draws because yeah. Hugh Jackman is relatively unknown. Like, I didn't know who he was until I saw like the production stills of him playing Wolverine. I was like, okay, they got this right. But Patrick Stewart and Halle Berry um, were, were the big names. James Marsden, of course, was in it. Yes, I forgot to mention Marsden. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a heartthrob, so, you know. James was not a big fan of his character arc, let me tell you. <laughs> he was uh, just a very punchable guy in, in all of the movie X-Men. But Storm, has the, <laughs> Storm Halle Berry has the line of the movie, which is, do you mm-hmm. know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? Same thing it does. Thing that happens to everything. To everyone. It reminds you that you're in the year 2000 with the CGI of him going into the water. And I was like, oh, man, we have come a long way. <laughs> a long way. It's a rough CGI rewatch. Yes. Yes. Good movie, though. It's all contextual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it was an important point from Craig of laying the groundwork for these huge, like, collaborative MCU projects and even 
getting into the DC stuff now. Um, and that model proved that you can do great in critics, fans, and box office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did 82, 83 on this. When you come out of the gate with 80 plus on both sides, yeah, we're going to make more of these. We're going to do that. Yeah. Sounds great. We'll invest some more cash into this. I know she does not have a great relationship with Brian Singer. Not that many people do to this day, yeah. but because <laughs> he is an abuser. But she she did say the, the thing that she enjoys most about these X-Men movies is the collaboration of the individuals that she acted alongside with. So she pled no contest to charges of leaving a car accident in 2000. So doing her best, like Matthew Broderick interpretation, but not quite as bad. And then probably one of her more to- talked about roles she played Ginger in Swordfish, a, a film that she went topless in. Scandalous. It's talked about because of her breasts. That's the only reason it's talked about. Scandalous. She went topless in 2001. But also again with Hugh Jackman. But then she got killed. <laughs> this movie is not good either. This is my first time ever seeing it. It's awful. It's terrible. It's so bad. The first scene, I'm like, maybe this could be interesting because he's talking about like different ways to do really gritty takeovers. And I was like, the rest of it is just an, a screenplay mess. Disgusting. It's gratuitous. It's terrible. Travolta does draw you in with his wild. I mean, he was untamed in the 90s, like doing stuff like this and face off. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Battlefield Earth. Like that dude was insane. What a terrible movie. Halle Berry. She, t- she tells Hugh Jackman very early on in the movie that he's. N- that she's not here to S his D. <laughs> if you remember that. Wonderful. Phenomenal writing. Great script. Hugh Jackman scene where he has to break into the Department of Defense is, it's unreal. It is un. I was like, what am I watching? That is how I'll explain this movie to people. Like, this is a real movie that really did this. Mm. Like, it really just had him do that while all of these things were happening. What an awful, awful piece of cinematic garbage. Second marriage, Eric Benet, 2001, divorced by 2003. Gave it a shot. You know, sometimes these things don't work out. Here's what it is. Eric Benet. <laughs> Eric Benet. Sometimes it takes you a while to figure out what you want, what you need, right? It's all good. No shade. And no shade at all. No shade. Figure it out, girl. Let's go. Largest critic gap. So she... Go with some swordfish, the lowest of the lows, I, th- I would say, to her Oscar win in Monsters Ball, which is largest critic gap. Was she in Swordfish because of a contractual obligation to the studio? <laughs> uh, I don't know that, but I do know. I just remember we talked about on the Bassett episode of like Angela Bassett was potentially going to take the role, but then she heard it was, mm-hmm. there was a topless scene and that was non-negotiable. And that's part of the reason that those two have kind of had a little bit of a rivalry over the years. Hmm. A pointless and very needless and random scene. Yes. Yeah. But I, but if you were like, if someone said John Travolta is going to be in it, and you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. big names. It was, she was still trying to, you know, make her way into certain rooms and into certain tables and thought this is a way to do it, you know? action film people told her from what i saw that hey this is probably not a great career decision but she's like um oh, whatever i'm just gonna try yeah. it and see how it goes and they said the same thing about monsters ball which is a great lead-in the same yeah. thing to crystal talking about largest critic yeah so 2001 movie is set in georgia um this movie has some interesting pop-up people that i forgot about i saw this movie when it came out in the theaters and so i had to re-watch it to refresh myself only thing I remember from watching it in the theaters was that P. Diddy was in it or Puff Daddy or Puffy or Sean or whatever he was at that point. 
and that the very graphic sex scene. The, those are two things that I remember from the movie. And so watching it again, it was nice to sort of dig back into it. We open it with Sean Combs, who's Lawrence. He is on death row. We don't know why he's on death row, but he is. He's Letitia's husband. Letitia is Halle Berry. Hank is Billy Bob Thornton. And Hank is like head executioner, I guess you would call him. He runs the team of the people that lead the executions at the prison. And also his son, Sonny, is on that team. And that is Heath Ledger, who I totally forgot was in the film. We know from the beginning of the film that the grandfather and Hank are both racist. The grandfather is certified racist. Hank is, I think, just trying to live up to what his dad believes about the world. Put Lawrence to death. Sonny and Hank have to be a part of that. And then they meet uh, Letitia. It's a job at a diner where Billy Bob Thornton's character gets his nightly bowl of chocolate ice cream and coffee before he goes to see his prostitute. And um, they meet. And it's not a good time the first time they meet. And the second time they meet is because, unfortunately, they don't have a car. And so little Tyrell and Letitia are walking in a storm. And little Tyrell, who actually is a, a very chubby child, gets hit by a car. Unfortunately, he dies. While they are laying on the wow. side of the road, Billy Bob Thornton picks them up and takes them to the hospital because people don't know what to do in certain situations. The hospital just says, can you please take this woman home, this mother home? And that's how they get connected. Fast forward, they start to realize that they share a lot of the same son trauma and trauma in their lives and sadness. Billy Bob gets invited in. They have a really great night with each other. The sex scene was something that Hallie was advised against doing. Apparently, it was amazing because the next day, Hank is a totally new man. He quits his job as executioner. He buys a gas station. He renames it after Letitia. He puts his racist father in a home. I mean, he becomes a whole new man. Letitia gets evicted. So Hank moves them into his house. And they um, are kind of set up to live happily ever after. Before the movie ends, it does allude to the fact that Letitia knows that Hank is a part of the reason that her husband died. She finds the photo that Lawrence drew of Sonny and puts two and two together. But she does not mention it. And then the movie ends. And that's that. This movie is very sad. Um, I want these folks to pick a struggle. I don't have any desire to watch it again. But I think watching it the second time, I understand why people, why critics loved it and why it was an Oscar fave. But I wouldn't say that I would want to rewatch it again at all. Billy Bob and Halle Berry have just enough chemistry to make it right, but also still feel kind of wrong. It's about them sort of healing each other. And so that kind of works. So I'm happy they found each other. I can see why critics sort of loved it. So Big moment for her, winning the Oscar. Mm-hmm. Big moment. I mean, she won the Oscar for it. Mm-hmm. I'm happy that she won it. And she's still the only Black woman that's won that particular award 20-some years later which I think brings her honestly a lot of grief because I think she thought that she was opening a door that still really hasn't been open. So I read a Vanity Fair article where she talked about that specifically. And she was really excited about that at the time. She thought that it was going to do a lot. And she just was more like saddened by the fact that it seems like it, it hasn't like progress has been made in a lot of different areas, but the fact that she's still standing alone is something that was really disappointing. You know, though, Viola Davis won 
supporting actress for a lead role. Wow. There is that. I mean, it was a lead role. <laughs> As we continue this cinematic journey, 2002, she played herself again in the Bernie Mac show, another big time show. I know <laughs> one of Craig's favorites, Bernie, big fan. Love Bernie Mac. Big time. And then, I mean, another big thing in 2002, she's a Bond girl and Die Another Day. Ooh. A big one for the career. Any Bond films, I feel like that's a that's a big one. The roles she's playing are starting to become iconic. That one in particular. Is, don't you think that's what she wants? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That orange yeah. bikini? I certainly remember it. <laughs> well, she talked about that, right? Like that was one of the that's one of the reasons why she took that role is because that particular thing she was gonna be doing in that role was gonna be like is a big deal in that world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's not dumb. You know what I mean? No. Oh, far from it. She's beautiful no. and people think she's dumb. She's not dumb. The sequel to the X-Men universe, next to X-Men United, 03, so returning is Storm. And then you've got Gothica. What an interesting picture, Gotha, because from 2003. She played Miranda. She's acting her ass off in this movie, but the movie, it's unfortunately, it's not very good. Mm. I don't think it is. Yeah. But she broke her arm on set, which I thought was the most interesting part. Robert Downey Jr. accidentally broke her arm in one of the scenes, and they had to pause production for eight weeks to allow her arm to heal back up before they restarted. So I'm sure the studio was not terribly happy wow. about that. <laughs> Thank you, RDJ, you asshole. RDJ. You could see from the world it will do wonders for your career. It'll take you to Catwoman in 2004, oh. where you played Patience. <laughs> God. <laughs> and you get your, you know, she got the Oscar. Now she gets her Razzie. And I'll give her credit. She showed up to that damn ceremony. She did. And she accepted that award and gave a speech. And I can't say that for every person that we covered that's gotten a Razzie. Is very mature about it. I think it's only Bullock that has uh, Oscar and Razzie that also showed up. It's like her and Sandra Bullock. Perfect. <laughs> elite company. Elite company. Watch this movie for the first time for this. And it's atrocious. It's atrocious. Oh my gosh. It's disgusting. I was honestly like, no way that this movie can be as bad as I heard that it was. Like, I was perfectly <laughs> fine living my life, never having watched Hilarious. this movie. Because I heard. <laughs> That it's historically bad. It's awful. So I'm like, oh, there's no way this movie can be that bad. It was within minutes. I was just like, oh, no. Well, she was forced to do it with her contract with the studio. So she did not want to play this role and got forced into it. Right into a Razzie. Telling you guys, she was in Swordfish because of a studio. You think so? I I have to believe that. Would not be surprised. This is the same thing, right? It's just like you go from like Dorothy Dandridge to, to Storm monsters ball and then it's just like the complete opposite with like gothica and catwoman and all these roles i'm just like man she's all over the place with project choice around the i could see in a world where this would make sense if she didn't know anything about the making of this movie though because it's a total disaster the idea of playing catwoman would be appealing there's so many right ways to play catwoman that i think she could have Completely knocked out of the park. Yeah, and the CGI was absolutely fucking atrocious. She thought it was was bad in X-Men 2000. It is way worse than this. (laughs) Robots 2005, big Munson crossover. We've got Natasha Lyonne, Stanley Tucci, Dan Hedaya. I finally watched it because I was like, fuck, I can finally watch this movie. We've mentioned it all the damn time. And Case, did you know that Dan Hedaya plays an angry character in this movie? Would you have ever guessed? (laughs) 
Never. No. Never in a million years. It's amazing. I wish I would have watched it for the Hide episode so I can continue to give him more points for being an angry human because that or an angry, angry robot <laughs> in this one. More spicy relationship life stuff in the mid 2000s. So she started dating Gabriel Aubrey in 2005, which led to a really high profile custody suit with their daughter. They had no eight. And then, like, one of them attempted to move to Italy. There were restraining orders involved. And it all fizzled out by 2014, but, like, a very messy situation with their daughter there in the Mm mid-2000s. And when you're named the most beautiful person in the world, guess what? You're in the spotlight for every little thing that you do. So Mm -hmm. the whole world knows once over. So Yes. <laughs> the curse of being that beautiful is that people are going to pay attention to your lives all the time. Let me tell you guys, it's a difficult scenario. <laughs> you know, from personal experience, not just saying a lot of pressure. It's easy to crack. Their eyes were watching God in 2005 to get an Emmy nomination. So a little bit of uh, some awards love there as Janie and another X-Men movie this time with Elliot Page, who we covered a while back. Her character is Kitty comes Kitty pride comes into the, the frame. And then this is what I would call, like, my, what I refer to as the underrated dramatic acting portion of her career. I think she does phenomenal work in Things We Lost in the Fire and also Frankie and Alice. I think she's phenomenal dramatically in both of those films, especially Frankie and Alice, even though it didn't make shit in the box office as an indie. Yeah. She is acting her ass off as two different characters in that movie going back and forth. And her first producer credit. She got a Golden Globe nom for Frankie and Alice, too. So yeah. she was recognized. But that, those are two of my favorite performances from her, dramatically. And I don't think people really talk about it much. No, because I remember I saw Things We Lost in the Fire in the theater. And I don't know what was happening in my life. But I cried to the point the person down the road from me was like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't think so. Like, I was bawling. <laughs> like, uh, in Durham, North Carolina, bawling uncontrollably. Um, and I love Benicio del Toro, so like I just love right. that that film. So and good. I had never seen um, Frankie and Alice, and I thought she was incredible. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that I hadn't heard more about it. It's my favorite performance by her. I know. Yeah, I thought she was amazing. That, that, that's my number one. Yeah. I think she's great in that movie. More people need to see it. And her first producer credit. But we, I almost skipped over Hurricane Chris, two thousand nine, Halle Berry. How how many actors have we covered that have a whole song named after them? Rap songs? Zero. Zero. None. This is elite company. You need to get a better list. I'm shocked J-Lo doesn't have a song about herself, but no, none. Stop it. A lot of references. I mean, J-Lo is mentioned in an Eminem song that I will not repeat at this moment in time. Dalo's mentioned, mentioned in a lot of songs. Yeah, yes. That's say. Circle, B. Diddy. Same with, yeah. with Halle Berry. Here are the other actors, I or the other performers. Biggie, Nas, Missy Elliott, Drake, Kanye. I mean, the who's who. Scratch, that's just scratching. That is like 48 times. 48 times she's been mentioned in rap songs. That's how that's gorgeous she is. Wild. 48 times. Crazy. If one of you doesn't give maximum points for pop culture, I have questions. I have a lot of questions. It's a crazy number and still feels low. Like, I feel like I've heard it more times than that. <laughs> the Simpsons. She played herself. And Dane, you just watched this before the episode, right? Or you were, like, grinding it out. What is the scenario? She appears at the Oscars as a presenter, as herself. And she is presenting the award for Best Animated Short to uh, Homer Simpson's Angry Dad. 
But before she gives out the award, she says, um, she just randomly inserts, every night I dream that my teeth fly out of my mouth, and then she gives out the award. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know if that was her ad-libbing or if that was actually in the script. They were like, you need to completely come up with a non-sequitur to say right before you give out the award. And that's what she came up with. I hope she came up with it herself. God, I love this episode. That'll give her five more points on my score, if that's what I mean, if that's how it happened. I don't want to understate this. This is the third time we mentioned her doing showing up as herself in something. CB4, The Simpsons, and Bernie Mac show. Like, just yeah. huge pop culture phenomenons popping in, doing her thing. Most actors we cover will do it, like, once throughout their career, multiple times. This is just blows me away. But you know what doesn't blow me away? The movie New Year's Eve. Because that movie is also not good. Uh, she plays Nurse Amy. A lot of acting with Bob De Niro in this one. Alongside John Lithgow and Matthew Broderick. So some other Munsons in there. I just have so many questions. I have so many questions. How did Robert De Niro get involved in this movie? How is he in this movie? Because they, they said, we need someone to play a guy who's dying who really wants to see the ball drop. And he was like, that's it. I'm the guy. He lost a bet, probably. I don't get it. Him being in that segment with Halle Berry, if you just tell me, hey, they're in this movie and they're both acting together, that sounds like something I really want to watch. And you realize. And why, And Bob De Niro was like, oh, I get to spend some time with Halle Berry? Sign me up. What is it hurting? It's not hurting his legacy at all. <laughs> he didn't hurt his knees. He didn't have to sit. He just right. lays and down she, the whole time. She to was win. probably like, like, I get to hang out with Bob De Niro? Absolutely. Let's do it. I don't have to interact with anyone else from this cast. Count me in. Yeah. I mean, if you like Valentine's Day and all these other, like, crossover universe movies, cool. But firmly anti-New Year's Eve movie podcast here. I don't I don't know if I can speak on behalf of everyone, but I'm just going to throw it out there into the world. All right. So, lowest critic score is Dark Tide. It's from 2012. James, by being a, a dick and going to become a dad, left this for me. Asshole. Let me, I'm not going to take much time to talk about Dark Tide. So, just so everyone's aware of lowest critic score, right? We get into lowest critic scores a lot of times, like 10%, 15%, whatever. Anybody else know the percentage for Dark Tide? Uh, I do. Zero, baby. Yeah. No, a zero? Zero. Zero. Oh, baby. Not zero percent. Sixteen percent from the audiences. And I believe that was rounded up. Stop Critics it. Is zero, <laughs> Let me walk you guys through Dark Tide. Now, the director is John Stockwell. He's like the, the beach guy because he also directed Into the Blue, Blue Crush. He did Touristas and Kid Cannabis. The, the interesting nugget about this movie is that, and it's about her personal life, she acted alongside Olivier Martinez, who she like, developed a flame with and ended up marrying the guy. So I guess for her, she chose to do this movie because it was filming in South Africa and she wanted to go to South Africa and she met her husband on the movie. So I guess she can't look back and say it was all a loss. Right, like a leaps led to a few things, but twenty-five million dollar budget on this movie, and I think it made like nothing, less than a million dollars or something like that. I don't know if that was the full run. Story: Hallie, aka Kate, is involved in a traumatic shark attack early in the film, and then reluctantly ushers a guy and his son out to swim with sharks. A year later, Hallie gets perturbed. They head to a really dangerous area for sharks and boats. They capsize during a dive. And then they fight for their lives against a bunch of great whites. That's the movie. That's the story. Congratulations. I'm glad we made it here. Everybody wins. We move on and we could talk about other more interesting things. I don't think it's a zero. It's certainly not anything more than a three in my book, but it's not a zero film. I've, I've seen worse, but it's not a film I would ever recommend anybody. 
I like uh, awful shark movies, though. I have a large collection of them. The Sharknado life. I would rather watch a very terrible movie that you can just make fun of the whole time, a la Mystery Science Theater, than like a serious drama that I'm not really interested in the characters. I mean, count me in on Deep Blue Sea anytime. If it's on, I'm watching. Right? Let's go. It's hard to make a bad, it's hard to make an unwatchable shark movie. I love shark movies. I've seen so many of them. Even like the bad ones I find to be very, very entertaining because at least they're fun. This movie doesn't even have that. It's not fun. It just, it kind of takes itself too serious. It doesn't mm-hmm. do anything fun at all. And so it almost, I, like I felt so passionate about this because it just made me mad because I'm like, how do you do this? How do you make this unfun? Like you had everything here to just be fun and you weren't. And that's the only bar I needed you to clean. It's the last thing I watched. <sighs> I was on such a heater with, with movies, and I watched this last. Absolutely destroyed my spirit. <laughs> Meets Olivier on set, gets married, has a son, and gets divorced in 2020. So that's marriage number three. I think she's, I don't know if she's dating anybody now. Kyle, do we know her current status? Is she still divorced? Yeah, she's with a guy. I know you're in the market. Oh, shoot. All right. She's with a, a lovely musician. They're all on Instagram, all lovey-dovey together. Sorry, Case. Man, her monster's core just went down. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I watched Cloud Atlas for the first time ever for this episode. I paid $4 to rent it to watch it, too, because I'd been told I need to see it. It's almost three hours long. Keith David in this picture. Oh, God. She plays a lot of characters in Cloud Atlas. There's a lot going on. Tom Hanks. What are some thoughts on Cloud Atlas? Wachowskis. Can you get a refund? The, uh, when they said that it might be like an Oscar contender in the months leading up to people having actually seen it, I was like intrigued by it. And then I saw trailers and then reviews came in. And then I said, I don't need to see this for my Oscar prognostications. <laughs> it is in rare company. And that is one of the few movies I've seen that has the exact same critic and audience score at 66%, which you very rarely see, which... And both in the positive like that. So I feel like Cloud Atlas has had a resurgence in the conversation of people being like, no, it's actually good the past couple of years. I don't know if I necessarily agree. There's a lot going on. The third act, I think, is intriguing. The second act is a sleeper. But I'm sure it was kind of fun to play alongside Tom Hanks and do a lot. She used to play a lot of different characters, very theatrical in ways. Right, of being able to go on the stage and do a lot of different stuff. She's doing a lot in this movie. And then she does the piece of shit that is 40, movie 43, alongside Chris Pratt and Chloe Grace Moretz. And her sequence, she ends up being like super like lipoed out and plastic surgeryed out, and it's not a great look. So don't recommend it, people. The like nutty professor, the clumps. <laughs> <laughs> and then the call which I think Crystal had mentioned was like, has this like new resurgence on Netflix recently, right? Like, yeah, it like came out and went straight to number one on Netflix. And she tweeted, she was like, why is this movie at number one, like 20 years after it came out? Are y'all okay? And everyone was just having this sort of nostalgia moment. And, you know, and also people, 12 year olds and 13 year olds are just discovering things for the first time. And so yeah, watching stuff on Netflix. So or into it again, I guess. So we can call it cult classic. It's a good set. I think she's good in this. I think the move that movie's hard to miss. Yes. There are certainly worse Halle Berry roles to pop up ten years later and people to be discovering for the first time. So it's not a it's not a terrible one to resurge out. So highest critic score is a superhero movie, which we don't say often for actors we cover, but it is X Men Days of Future Past. 
just slightly ahead of John Wick Chapter 3 by 1%. And Dane is going to talk about it. I will not recap the entire history of the X-Men for you in this review. So X-Men Days of Future Past was the second of the films that featured like a younger version of the X-Men. This was actually the first one that brought in the old X-Men 2000 series characters in it, like Storm and Wolverine, as played by Barry and Jackman. After X-Men 3, they kind of they went nuclear, is what I would say. They got a lot of box office out of it, mm-hmm. um, as we heard earlier. But they kind they killed off a lot of characters, and they left me saying, "What the hell did you do to this franchise? And how are you going to like right all of these wrongs that you did to these major characters that people love? Where do you even go from here?" Because they killed off major characters, and after that, they decided to do X Men First Class, which was we're kind of scrapping everything, and we're we're taking the X-Men back to the 60s and showing you like Professor X younger played by James McAvoy and Magneto younger played by Michael Fassbender. Bring in Jennifer Lawrence because you can as Mystique and so on and so forth. And so they went in that direction. I was like, okay, so they've moved on from this forever. But then all of a sudden 2014 comes along and they're doing the X-Men Days of Future Past storyline, which, if you knew the comic books and the X-Men animated series, involves time travel and a prominent character named Bishop, who in this movie is played by Omar Sy. And so they they really start out the movie showing you a dystopian future where they're actually showing major characters being killed even more. Storm, I believe, dies in the opening sequence again, um, only to reappear alive once you realize they can use Bishop to go back in time like for a short burst. And what they do is uh, Kitty Pride, Elliot Page, and Bishop Omar Sy, they get together, they find Logan Wolverine, and they figure out a way that they can prevent this future from occurring by going back into the past and changing one singular thing, which was to have... those. I'm sorry, this is very convoluted, but... <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence's character, Mystique, kills this man who builds these robots that are hell-bent on just killing mutants. Their only purpose is to kill mutants. They can detect mutants no matter what. And they're not made out of metal. They're made out of this synthetic material so that um, not even Magneto can stop them. And she kills the man who builds these back in the 70s, I believe it is, like early 70s. He's played by Peter Dinklage. And they they pinpoint if we can stop this singular occurrence from happening, and we all it's gonna take all of us working together, we can prevent this future where everything goes to absolute shit and mutants are going extinct. I mean, it sounds convoluted, but like the movie is chock full of great scenes, things you've always wanted to see as a comic book fan. Young and old together, you get to see James McAvoy in a scene with Patrick Stewart, um, the two Professor Xavier's communicating. Um, yeah, pretty much, this pretty much was like fulfilling every X Men fan's like greatest hopes and desires for the franchise. I would say I just watched it again last night. Of course, was at the theater for it, um, but watched it again last night. And there's a the pivotal scene, I mean, it almost does bring you to tears, which is not something that you really think would happen in a stupid superhero movie. But definitely X-Men has never done anything better since. 
and they never did anything better before that. <laughs> and so I, I think this is still kind of like the peak of X-Men until potentially they bring them into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then there's all kinds of possibilities. This, uh, If you look at the Marvel movies ranked in terms of Rotten Tomato score, this would fit in with like the, the main MCU at like tied for 10th overall in terms of score, alongside Far From Home, Civil War, and Winter Soldier. So that's how highly rated it is. Yeah, Deadpool is considered in that same X-Men universe, so if you're just ranking the X movies that Fox did, maybe that one goes ahead of it because people laughed a lot, but I still think Days of Future Past is a better movie. So. Yeah, This is the best version of those movies. This is like everything came together. <laughs> they still didn't give Storm her due in, the, in these movies, <laughs> but she's in them, but you know. Her hair is a lot shorter in these ones, right? Well, I think then she say that she would love to make more of these, but she wants a Wolverine Storm angle. Mm-hmm. Like she would love mm-hmm. to have more exploration of that story. So she said she would love if they could figure out how to keep making these, and because she loved to be back a part of that, the X Men family, you know. All right, well, let's round this thing out. So we've got eight years left. We've got some biggies in here. She is the executive producer and plays character in the show Extant from 2014 to 2015. Starting to see her do more producing on the other side of the camera stuff, or that show got canceled, but something that she really put her money and her energy and time behind. Um, a couple of years until you get to Kingsman, The Golden Circle, the sequel to the, to the first Kingsman film. She plays Ginger Ale, essentially a, a, a statesman strategy executive doing some of the back, the back end stuff, supporting character in that movie. And then, but the movie I mentioned earlier, John Wick chapter three, that just barely didn't make highest critic score. She plays Sophia, a badass in this movie with German shepherds alongside fighting alongside John Wick. It's pretty cool to watch her do her thing. Incredible scene. I was so mm-hmm. hyped for the theater when she showed up. Mm-hmm. Cause I had no idea she was, I didn't know she was in this. I don't really do. I don't watch a lot of trailers. So I don't know if she was in the marketing. So I was just in there blind and she showed up and I was so hyped. And that scene was crazy. My favorite line is when she goes, he killed my dog and Keanu goes, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) So like just the throwback to the original John Wick. I was like, I like that. I just remember a shot, like the sequence of the dogs going through and you got to get an overhead shot of it. It's just the film. I love the John Wick movies and what they did with her in particular and the way that they just shot those scenes. It's it's brilliant work. And it sounds like the performing on these movies is really physical, mm-hmm. which makes it even more impressive. She said she likes that, right? Yeah. She mm-hmm. likes doing her own stunts. Yep. Well, it set her up for the, the next film we're going to talk about here, and that's Bruised, a film that she... She convinced the studio to change the main character to be her because it was originally going to be like a white Catholic girl. And her 20. Convinced it to her. The studio said, go find a director for it. And she couldn't find the right director. And she said, you know what? How about I direct this thing? And the studio said, let's do it. What do we think about her directing? As a director, she did a solid job. Uh, the film, is it's like she did a good job, you know, as her first one. She had to play the lead role. That's a lot's a big ask. I thought she did a solid job. This though, I watched this last night. This is one of my favorite performances that she gives. Cause again, particularly the type of style of acting that I just tend to like, like a lot more. She gives a lot in this. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very internal. Mm-hmm. What she's doing, a lot of what she was very internal. I loved what she did in this. I, I really loved what Halle Berry was doing here. Like it was it was very physical, it was transformative, so it was all the stuff. It felt like a culmination of everything I had seen. Yeah. 
So I saw some transformative. I saw a lot of big stuff and physical stuff. And then I saw like really internal, like thoughtful, emotional acting that did that said so much by doing just so little playing off of a kid who's not even talking, which is incredibly hard. It was amazing. <laughs> I, the movie is a bit the movie is a bit like standard. It is. But she is really good. Like I'd watch it again just to see her performance in this again. Mm-hmm. Aubrey, to your point about this being a culmination, the fight choreographer and stunt coordinator in this movie is Eric Brown, who also did John Wick 3. Yeah. That makes sense. So she brought him in with on this project, which is a great move. She said she took her whole team with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. When she headbutts the, the werewolf oh my gosh. repeatedly, you're like, oh, oh my gosh. shit. <laughs> We're getting amped. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And to your point, Aubrey, the thing that stuck out to me, this is 20, almost 20 years after the, when she set the world on fire going topless in Swordfish. And she has a lesbian love scene. And at her age, like, there's some partial nudity. Like, she just doesn't care. Like, she owns who she is and has the willingness to still do those things 20 years later. And I give her mad props for that. It's her film. Yeah, I love the most about her as an actor is how committed she is to everything. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. she, it never seems like she's mailing anything in. She's a hundred percent committed to her character. She gives everything she has, nope. which you know, in turn, like at times presents some performances that personally I don't love, but I still admire the commitment to it. Yes. the fact that she gives everything to the characters that she's portraying is admirable. It's you know, brave is as brave as the actor can be. It's brave, like yeah. I think it almost you almost get it gets lost in all of the Halle Berry aura. What gets lost is just like she is fully committed, getting giving everything she has to all these roles, which in turn kind of makes you appreciate all of them, even if you don't like them, yep. even if they don't work as well for you. You end up appreciating them because she does she does so much with them. She doesn't just show up and it's like a pretty face. That's not a, a goal for her at all, you know. Hot Ones 2019. Always love to go shout out to anybody who goes on Hot Ones. Big fan. Great episode, too. She completed the challenge. Mm-hmm. I think we had three episodes in a row with somebody on Hot Ones, because I think Haley with Steinfeld was also on Hot Ones. So we're just we're just on a run here. Yep. But most recently, Moonfall, the, the latest Roland Emmerich film. I saw it in theaters. I don't know if I'm happy I saw it in theaters, because I did not really find it that engaging. I appreciate her and Patrick Wilson trying. I'll give them credit. They tried. <laughs> the The story is redonkulous. Has anybody else seen Moonfall? I have not. I, this is the first movie I watched for this. <laughs> oh, my God. What a ballsy premise. I'll say that. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. When you sign up for a Roland Emmerich film, you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I was going to get a spectacle in the theater when I went. I knew I was going to get that. Spectacle. <laughs> I give them credit. This movie's wild. There's a lot going on. Aliens and moons and conspiracy theories that end up being true. And it's, it's, it's a lot. Not her best performance. I, I feel confident saying that, but not her worst either. <laughs> Aubrey is going to queue up some top performances for us and we're going to see if we can guess them. Okay. So I found several lists. One, only one that I could find that was about her performances, not just her movies. So this is from MovieWeb. From March of this year. So it's her best performances ranked, and there's seven of them. Ooh. Movie and TV? I know there's not much TV to speak of, but. To say. Like miniseries and shit like that? Would that count? Yeah, it would count in here, I think. Okay. 
Yeah, there's her best performances. So yeah, that's in there. Okay. What about her performance in the Limp Biscuit video? Oh, I'm gonna say to say that they did not take that into account here. Damn it! Oh, oh my god! Throw the list out. Throw it out. Such a smart move for her though, because Fred Durst and Limp Biscuit were the hottest things going at the time. Huge, right? so huge. Audience crossover influence. She knew what she was doing. I mean, they she were talking about doing. the Nookie and breaking yeah. stuff, and they were doing all the things then. Don't you guys talk about celebrated director Fred Durst? In such a negative light. <laughs> Don't act like you weren't rolling. Come on now. Everyone own up to who you are. Come on. I listened to the chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water a lot. Of course you did. Put your hands up. I listened to uh, pop punk that, at that time. Emo and pop punk. Uh, and I hated Limp Biscuit. So. Come on. Never had a conversation about Limp Biscuit that's lasted this long. <laughs> no. You know what? Hands up or hands down, Dane. Back up. Back up. What you gonna do now? Now, what I appreciate is a woman who can make moves and think strategically, and I think Hallie's been doing that this whole time. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna give the first guess. Oh, second guess. Oh yeah, that's right. Limbus give us number one. <laughs> yeah. All right, the the first real guess. I I'm gonna go deep cut. Give me Frankie and Alice, please. Make it on the top seven. Oh, not on here. Damn. No, Damn I think Dorothy Dandridge is up there. I will say this list is a bit wild. Dorothy Dandridge is not on here. Whoa! A monster's ball had better be on there since it was an Oscar role, right? It is number one. Okay. Okay. And then Storm. Yeah. Do they have Storm on there? Yeah. All of the X Men movie were condensed into this. That's number five. Okay. Okay. What about things we lost in the fire? Oh. If this is wild, let's go Sharon Stone from Flintstones. Flintstones is number six. There we go. (laughs) Damn. You know, well, let's let's recognize her Razzie. Win in Catwoman. Put it on the list. Catwoman is number three. What? What? Come on now. <laughs> swear to God. All right. Opinions. Once you've watched it, you remember it. Some people have them. Swordfish? Swordfish is not on here. Oh, no. Maps did not make it. Bullworth. All right, then Jungle Fever. Nope. We have three left. Nice number man. two, number four, number seven. Or Mrs. Isaiah is not on here. Yep. Wasn't Isaiah's that Queen? Queen could be on there. Nope. Cloud Atlas is probably on there. Die Another Day. No, you guys are making sensible guesses. Die Another Day is number seven. Okay. Oh. Gothica. John Wick, three. You guys spent all this time talking about Limp Biscuit. Oh, so it is. Yeah, Gothica. Gothica is on there. Number four. I mean, she's. Yeah. I have no complaints about her in that role. An iconic uh, movie poster. This <laughs> it is. Very true. Very memorable. So we're down to just number two. What is her second best performance? I got it. Did we talk about it? Movie 43. We did talk about it. It is not movie 43. <laughs> <laughs> it's number oh, two. The call. Call is it. Okay. I can get behind that. Call? Okay. All right. So what was the top three again? Monsters Ball, number one. The call, number two. Catwoman, number three. What a bizarre top three. <laughs> it's, bizarre. it's a bizarre top seven. What? How would we change it? Because I don't think any of us are jiving with that top three. Well, how would we change that? Dorothy Dandridge has to be on here. Dorothy Dandridge, yeah. Dorothy Dandridge has to be on here. Yeah, I'd go go Dandridge, Frankie and Alice, and maybe even I like Gothka more than two of those, personally. So, yeah, I love that the Flintstones was on that list. Sharon Stone was it, okay? I love that. I love that it's on the list. It's the iconic part. My third would be John Wick 3. I do like John Wick. I love that. Too. I'm a Frankie and Alice guy. I mean, I would have put Bruised on there, but. Mm, true. Yeah. 
Is your ego bruised because it's not on there? Oh, good grief. I don't know. I don't know what to say. So what we do here, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, their awards footprint, any other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success, or anything else that matters to us as Munson's. I have the honor of going first this time. So I will say, I think she's in rare company in winning an Oscar and a Razzie. And I, I know I mentioned earlier, but I give her major props for actually showing up and accepting her Razzie with grace and doing it in a way of saying, I'm not better than anybody. I am got forced into a role. Maybe not my best role ever, but I'm, she burned the statue after, so I'll give her credit. She went and got it, burned it, and has moved on in life and has obviously rebounded quite nicely. But some of the smaller roles is what really impressed me about her. Frankie and Alice, Things We Lost in the Fire, Dorothy Dandridge, really off-the-radar stuff that most people aren't talking about, but I think she's just so... Her range, emotional range especially, is so good. And I think she's spectacular even in shitty movies. I think she's just... She's been one of my favorite actors to watch. Love that she's mentioned in all the different rappers and songs over the years. It goes to show her pop culture relevance. And, I mean, she's won the Oscar. She's she's done pretty much everything you need to do in that world. I don't think she's that funny, so she'll take some hits there. But yeah. with that, I'm going to give her a pretty decent score. I'm going to give her an 82. Dane. Pop culturally, I mean, if you were to ask me to name black actresses in the 90s at a time when they were extremely underrepresented... She would be the first one that I named. So, I mean, just visibility wise. So pop cult- pop culturally, I mean, she's playing like hugely iconic X-Men character. She's recognized as the most beautiful woman in the or person in the world, 2003. Playing herself in The Simpsons. Not just anybody can do that. I mean, that's very high marks for that. I don't like to judge people's personal lives, especially famous people <laughs> under a microscope. So um, that's not going to factor into my score at all. Combining the pop cultural factor and overall resume, I'm going to say, I'm going to say like 84. 84. Crystal. Yeah, I think just add along to what y'all have said, I think persistence. She talks a lot about how getting brews made wasn't as easy as people thought it was. She was on an episode, another podcast and they were assuming that her Oscar had just opened every single door for her. And she's like, exactly the opposite happened. Right. And people still don't want to give her funding. She still doesn't always get the pick of what she wants. People still don't take her seriously. And so the fact that she's still going in the way that she is, and she's made this great Netflix movie. She has some other stuff coming out soon with Netflix. I give her major props for still murking through the industry in the way that she has and still trying to prove herself to people all these years later who still think she's just a pretty person. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Love her social media presence that she has. I love her interest in fashion. So this large crossover appeal that she has. I love that she's directing and producing. So I'm a fan. I think she has done a lot. I think she has done a lot for Black women in Hollywood. She can only do so much. She's only one person, but I think she's done a lot. And I'm happy that she is the one person that has won. But I know that she wants more to win, and I certainly want to as well. The Best Actress Award. So I would probably give her, I mean, I think anytime you can be mentioned in 48 rap songs, I think it just says a lot about who you are. You know what I mean? People are thinking about you all the time. Like everyone's thinking about Halle Berry. And so I would give her like an 80, 88. 88. I love it. Um, 
So this one was this was interesting because I love I love this exercise of just going through an actor's career, watching their movies, and really just thinking about their career and the work that they've done. I came away from this like I was aware of Halle Berry, obviously, because everyone was. I knew who she was. I've seen the big stuff. But I didn't really think of her all that much in the lexicon of great actors or anything like that. I just kind of acknowledged her for the icon that she actually is. Mm-hmm. I, I came away from this respecting her and her career more than I ever thought that I would. Because even though I don't love all of her movies, she is such an interesting actor. And her career is so interesting. And I spent a lot of time thinking about what happened, like what's happening with her career and what happened since Monsters Ball. And I saw like a YouTube headline that was like, what happened to Halle Berry's career? I didn't even watch it because I don't, I didn't think it would be all that interesting. But I do think that question is, and I feel like she ends up being like the poster child, like the best example of black women not being respected the way that they should because she did win the Oscar and all of these movies that have become punchlines even before and after that Oscar seem like she was choosing from what she had. And then she was able to make the best out of things that most people wouldn't even want to do. I really respect that. Like she gives everything to her performances. She showed a range. It's not as wide or, or, or as vast as I would, you know, as I would have thought based off the fact that she won an Oscar, but she has a range. She can do all of the things and she is a legitimate icon. Like mm-hmm. she's like the, one of the most famous people of my lifetime. She is Storm, one of the first, not the first, but one of the first black people to play a superhero and one of the, like the first black woman. She was a Bond girl, which was iconic. And she did that. Not many black women have ever done that. If any, she won an Oscar. She's the only one to do that. She won a primetime Emmy. Like she, and then she was in a Spike Lee movie. She starred next to Eddie Murphy. Like she was in a different world. She did all the things. And so that, that even in that sense, it's really interesting. So I say all that to say, I would probably put her, I'd say in 85. Not to mention that she's in, she was in Bedrock too, but that's okay. I'll forgive you. <laughs> Case. I think the word that's come up that I associate with her is iconic. Of all the people that we've covered, to me, she might have the best name recognition of anybody that we've talked about. And anybody that I told that we were doing this episode, and I didn't have to explain her career. They're like, oh, my God, I loved her in this. And people could rattle off five to ten movies of hers like that. I'm a huge fan. I've enjoyed her roles. I've enjoyed her approach to them. Uh, You know, I agree. I don't think she's necessarily our generation's finest actress. but the fact that she continues to put out quality work and, and be in a lot of projects. And then the other thing, I mean, talked about earlier, I mean, she was homeless at 21, you know, and in 2003, she's voted the most beautiful person on the planet or whatever the hell it was. And she's one of the most recognizable people in Hollywood. I, that's just an amazing journey. And you got to bust your ass to do that. And, and I have a lot of respect for the amount of work that she's put in. So I'm going to give her an 86. And I do have Rigby's quick review. He said, super talented, score would be higher if she hadn't had such bad movie choices the last half of her career, but can be excellent in big budget movies and smaller films, household name, and I think she's handled her time in the spotlight very well. She gets an 80 from me. 
So the first time in Munson's history, Rigby has the lowest score of anyone on the podcast. Yes! He is normally the highest by a considerable margin. So this is a weird moment for everybody involved. Kyle, real quick, I forgot to give her the Oscar bump that I gave uh, Alicia Vikander when we did that. Vikander, yeah. I need to do... um, I need to bump it up two points to an 86. 86? All right. Oh, what a flip there. That that actually caused some some havoc with your two points. <laughs> Normally when I when I put it in the spreadsheet, right, I usually go like around the six area. I go to the top and then I just add a new one. I do the algorithm. I punch it in and I hit reorganize. And before you had your score, I put her right between Willem Dafoe and Angela Bassett. And she was she finished there. Like I wouldn't have had to move her. With you changing your score, she went up a spot. So with that, that gives Halle Berry an 84.5, which puts her in fifth of everybody we've covered up to this point. Damn. Slightly ahead of Willem Dafoe and just behind Jim Carrey. And also two spots ahead of Angela Bassett. So Angela, eat your heart out. Wow. What's our top five? Philip Seymour Hoffman, one. Jamie Lee Curtis, two. Emma Thompson, three. Jim Carrey, four. Halle Berry, five. I would watch any movie if you put all those five of those people in. <laughs> the same, obviously, we can't do that. I'd watch any movie of any of them. Because PSH is no longer with us, rest in peace, but that would be a fun cast. What does she have come in, Crystal? She has two movies coming out, both on Netflix. One is called Our Man from New Jersey. It is with Mark Wahlberg and her. It's an action movie. It's described as a blue-collar James Bond. That sounds badass. That sounds like a Mark Wahlberg production. Like a Mark Wahlberg, (laughs) yeah. Then she has another movie on Netflix, Motherships, a sci-fi adventure. She plays Sarah Morse. One year since her husband mysteriously vanished from their rural farm. They discover an extraterrestrial object underneath their home. And then her and the kids embark on a race to find the husband. Most importantly, the truth. Co-stars Omari Hardwick and Molly Parker. So okay. interesting. She's back to her uh, short haircut in Our Man from Jersey. Short and blonde situation going on. Oh, back. But for the mothership, she looks very curly, natural, air armor type deal so those are the two things she's coming up both from netflix so i don't know if she signed a deal with them or if this is just i think she did coincidence that bruce mothership and our man from jersey are all netflix and she's a big name so i'm sure we'll get plenty of eyes on those projects whether they're good or not i guess we'll find out but people are gonna watch yeah, i know that absolutely. all right so five actors were thrown on the wheel for the next episode which drops june 2nd of 2022 a lot of twos there. We're bringing back Dan Craig, who has been here a lot before. Chris O'Dowd, Tim Roth, Willem Dafoe, David Spade. Aubrey's trying to compete with Dan at this point in time with his his appearances. Yeah, Dan Dan is the guy. He was one of our. Well, actually, Dane was our first ever guest, and then Dan. So they're like the the OGs for the early Munson's days. And these five actors were thrown onto the wheel for that episode: Olivia Coleman, Maggie Smith. Uma Thurman, Tim Curry, Bruce Willis. What do we like? What do we dislike? A very strong wheel. Lots of good options here. Can you go wrong with any of these? Maggie Smith, legend. Curry has a fun career, man. I mean, Olivia Coleman. So many awards. We won in all the Oscars. I'm not, you're just watching Oscar movies, just back to back to back to back to back. 100%. And she was phenomenal 
and the last daughter. Lost She's incredible now. Yeah, and her mm-hmm. speeches are always hilarious. So it could be just fun just to watch those. How long would the Maggie Smith episode be? She has like a million movies. I mean, how long has she been around? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. She's a seasoned woman, so it's going to have to be an extended Legend. episode. I'd listen to the whole thing. A lot of Harry Potter in that conversation. Hook, you guys. <laughs> Bruce Willis, you probably want to avoid because you would have to watch like the last oh. 10 to 12 years of his resume. career. Oh, man. Like he got such a poor reputation for being difficult to work with on the set and everything that nobody mm-hmm. wanted to work with him. So he was just doing mm-hmm. the worst low budget crap action movies ever. And he yeah. got d- diagnosed recently um, exactly. and retired from acting. Isn't he dealing with an illness? Yeah. 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 Because he won, he won, he had his own category at the Razzies. For because he put all the eight turds, but uh, you get to watch the last Boy Scout again. <laughs> Personally, I would love to do Tim Curry because I think he's such a fascinating dude. He's also had a really interesting personal life as well. But I mean, it, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Home Alone 2, Clue, come on, Clue, Blue. I mean, The Worst Witch, which is the greatest television. Production of all I've never seen it. See, I'd, I'd see it. be excited to dig into that one. Craig, who who's your favorite of this list? Man, I'm always Team Uma. Uma, yeah. He's on that TV show now on what is it? Showtime about Uber. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she plays Ariana Huffington. Oh, Craig, you know Dan well. Who do you think Dan picked? He loves Tarantino, so he's either going to pick Uma Thurman, but he also loves kind of. Off the beaten path actors, I think he might have picked Tim Curry. I think it's either Uma Thurman or Tim Curry. He's only come on for men before. So maybe the trend continues or he bucks it. Mm. We'll find out. Or you're trying to throw me off the trail, but it ain't going to happen. <laughs> maybe. You just don't know my 62 in. You don't know my game. I'll take a hard stand because I don't like to be that 50-50 guy. He's going to take Uma Thurman because of the Quentin Tarantino connection. Okay. All right. Real quick. Crystal, if you had to pick one, who would it be? Olivia Coleman. Aubrey. Maggie Smith. Oh. Dane? Tim. Tim Curry. Okay, and I would pick Tim Curry. So no one no one's going with uh, Bruce Willie here. Maybe that's for the best. No Bruno. <laughs> well, we'll find out. Uh, we don't decide. Dane doesn't decide. Dan Craig doesn't decide. Aubrey doesn't decide. Crystal doesn't decide. The wheel decides, and we shall see how it falls. My thermos. Guys, I, I just want to say... This is a grand Munson's experiment. I think we nailed it. Thank you so much to the three of you for joining us. We needed all the help we could get. That was awesome. This was really cool. This was actually like you get 60 plus episodes in. You're like, let's try something new. Let's just throw it all out there. So you guys are incredible. You all brought in such unique perspectives. I want to give everybody a quick, maybe 30 second plug for what you're doing. Side hustle side, any wise words from our audience? And we'll start with Aubrey. Me and my wife are really excited. We took about a year off. We're bringing our website back to postcreditscene.com. Nice. That comes back Love it. next week. Dr. Strange Review should be out. I just wrote something about Gerard Carmichael's most recent stand-up special, Rathaniel, which I think is a brilliant masterpiece that you have to watch. It is a fantastic piece of art that I've been thinking about nonstop since it came out. So I just wrote something for that. I want to watch it. I have a fantastic Beast review on Movie Babble and Gerard Carmichael's new movie, On the Count of Three. I have a review that I wrote from Sundance from last year yep. that's being re-released on Movie Babble, which that is also a great movie. So if you're a fan of Gerard, you definitely have to watch that as well. But we're really excited about the website coming back. That's been something that we've wanted to do, and 
we're finally bringing it back. So I'm happy about that. Long time coming. That's awesome, dude. A lot of good content on there, man. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Thank you. We work really hard on it. Crystal, you're up. Yeah. So I just want to invite people, if you're ever in Nashville, Tennessee, which it seems like everyone is these days, to come out to the Belcourt Theater. It is our nonprofit film center. It's the last remaining neighborhood movie theater in our city. It's over 95 years old. We have a little over 5,500 members. Um, We don't just show films on our three screens, but we also offer ample educational opportunities for film goers and for filmmakers. So if you're ever in town, please come out and visit us. They're the best popcorn in town, the friendliest movie folks that you'll ever meet. And we would really love to have any of you come by and visit. And I just want to give a huge shout out to the entire team who has kept a movie theater up and running in the pandemic. And so we are just thankful that people are coming to the movies, putting their butts in seats, and that we have this incredible team of people led by Stephanie Silverman, who have just put everything into keeping our theater alive. We are open. We are doing well. We are thriving and just very excited to be a part of such a wonderful institution in our city. Love that. That's awesome, Crystal. Very cool. That is really dope. Dane, go to the bell cart. I think I've almost I've wanted to go there before because I believe that's where Rift Tracks does their live shows from, um, which is incredible. But I've always wanted to go and see them perform live. I'm always at the Fathom Events screenings at my local theater, but they're broadcasting from the Bell Court. But yeah, I don't have anything to plug. Just be kind and compassionate to one another. Rewind and listen to what Aubrey and, and um, Crystal are plugging and do those things because you all should. Love it. I'm going to give Dane a plug. A lot of the uh, editing and, and production that our show has was because of a lot of his tutelage and help early on for us. So I've always been very appreciative of your help there, Dane. You bet. He's, he's an OG. First guest ever. So it's good to get him back. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, it is. About time. Yeah, no kidding, right? Thanks for coming out of retirement, you bum. D- your brother comes here all the time. You know, Dames comes and hangs out with us. I'm off the hook for another year, right? <laughs> That's your that's your call, my friend. Well, as we wrap things up, we appreciate you for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Halle Berry? I might not be all glamorous, but let me tell you one great thing about me, all right? I've got heart. You know the bad thing about having heart, Marcus? Is that it gets broken when you deal with people like you. Now stay the fuck out of my life. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Hey,